a real entrepreneur helping others succeed. This is your host, Rivers Corbett, on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day in the life stories and in their shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs build theirs, this is my lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com. We're so thrilled to have today's guest who is a tech entrepreneur as well as the globally recognized thought leader, the CEO and co-founder of M Crowdsourcing Canada, aka MC2, Giovanna Mingarelli, is one of the most sought-after public speakers in the areas of entrepreneurialism and civic engagement. Having worked extensively in the field of political and digital communications, Giovanni served in the office of former Prime Minister of Canada and contributed to global events such as at the White House, the World Economic Forum, and the annual meeting of the new champions in Dalian. In 2011, for her efforts to improve the state of the world through entrepreneurialism and civic engagement, she was named a global shaper by the World Economic form. And in 2015, she was named as one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women by the WXN. Today, we're going to talk to Giovanna about how governments can engage with technologies to build greater engagement, trust, and accountability. Giovanna, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. Rivers, I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for your very kind introduction. Here's the story behind MC2. It's yeah. So th- thank you for asking. It's 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 quite the story actually. So um, MC two itself is uh, an activity tracking and visualization um, platform, and we've just launched a civic engagement chatbot. And so essentially, to kind of untie that a little bit, right? To unpackage that mouthful of, 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 of stuff. Um, essentially a chatbot is a program conversation, like a program conversation between yourself. And, um, in this case, like a, a, a messaging conversation, right? So imagine being on, on Facebook messenger and seeing, uh, and having a, a text conversation through messenger, um, but with a pre-programmed artificially intelligent entity, right? So not a person, although it looks like one right. in very simple terms. And um, so we've developed a, a chatbot to essentially uh, have conversations with people um, around becoming civically engaged and to essentially provide activities and places for people to go to where they can be civically engaged. The chatbot is called FIA. So like Siri would be to Apple, MC2 has FIA. 
okay. still learning. Um, very much so. And so an example of this would be um, Ottawa Tourism. So we actually just launched um, a chatbot with Ottawa Tourism, where um, residents, you would you would find the chatbot through Facebook Messenger. Um, uh, the chatbot would be under the alias Tourism Assistant, and then you would share your location with with Faya and get recommended, um, you know, in this particular case, uh, cultural activities that you could do in the city, such as any one of Ottawa's top um, eight museums and then activities that you can do there, um, such as going to the Museum of Nature and, you know, doing three actions like finding the blue whale and, right. um, you know, taking a selfie with your favorite statue and so on. Um, you would have to take a photo or video to verify that each action is done because it's not enough to just say that you did something. You have to actually prove that you did it. And then once the action, once that photo or video is submitted, we then verify that the action's real. We anchor it in a blockchain um, for accountability, and then we map it to showcase our collective impact impact in a Yelp-styled map. So in this case, you would then see in the map, okay, X number of people have been at the Museum of Nature this week and have done these kinds of actions. And as, for example, a parent, you could say, hey, I want to take my kids to the Museum of Nature on the weekend because, you know, there are all these amazing actions you can do. And in fact, we can also, you know, get rewards for having done these actions from local businesses. Uh, likewise, you could see, you know, it actually starts to bring social accountability to action where, um, you know, people are essentially able to um, uh, create a profile of who they are. In this case, Ottawa Tourism has a profile of what they represent by the actions people are doing under their banner. And likewise, as an individual, um, it creates a profile of you, of who you are by the actions that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So this sounds uh, a lot like an opportunity for municipalities to significantly really understand um, not only what's going on, but the people who are uh, who are their constituents to help them make future decisions. Have you had anything that's come out of this Ottawa situation as an example where decisions have been made based on that engagement? That, you know what? That's and that's exactly um, very perceptive of you because that's the, exactly the direction that we're going. Is essentially as people take action, that creates meaningful data, and then that data can be used to inform decision makers on future courses of action. It can be used to um, support planning activities and so on and so forth. The idea um, being rooted in this what's called like a prosumer methodology, where the uh, consumer actually becomes the producer, where by you know by um, uh, default, right, um, we first find out what people want or what people need, and then we build it or we make it or we enforce it. And so, um, you know, Netflix, actually, House of Cards was based on exactly this methodology where um, Netflix was like, we need a really good show. And, oh, okay, so our data shows us that a political uh -huh. show targeting, you know, these people is going to be super popular, but we need a famous person, Kevin Spacey, right? And so, and they literally made, like, this, the most successful Netflix show based on that exact, me exact methodology. And so we're doing that with cities, we're doing that with governments, and, 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 uh -huh. and essentially residents where we're saying, hey, residents are now going to inform you know, what they want through their actions. And then, um, you know, 
people can start making decisions, um, you know, decisions, decision makers and so on can can start making further, more informed decisions with the data that's available to them. So you started MC2 in 2012, you say? That's yeah. right. So yes. how does, because uh, this is always a, an interesting journey that, uh, you know, tech entrepreneurs take is how do you ultimately begin the journey of, of getting uh, real life examples happening that people are paying for? So can you take us on that journey of your first customer? How did you engage them? Uh, was there any kind of uh, tricks of the trade? And the other part of the question is once you got we start to get more information coming through uh, the the engagement uh, with MC2 in the community. Do you find the speed of which people are engaging has actually increased? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, I think to go back to 2012, um, it might be helpful to kind of share how it came into being in the first place, which will then extend into the kind of two other questions, right? The first customers and so on. Um, but essentially, my the, my entre- entrepreneurship journey was was quite unlikely, in the sense that <laughs> in the sense that you know I I came from uh, a big family, six brothers and sisters. Um, I was born in Ottawa, but I grew up in Rockland, which is like this um, a, a town uh, forty five minutes outside the city, and I really. Um, I grew up in this kind of community environment, right? Where we, where my my family and I, we were always kind of taking care of things together, and so it was very natural for me to, um, you know, be to excel at, for example, events, bringing people together around shared activities, and and to love doing that, and to love people, and 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 to be quite social, and so. Um, I had gotten involved in politics when I was 15 through a co-op placement on Parliament Hill and um, had no interest in politics whatsoever at the time, other than the fact that I loved people and discovered that, you know, I was actually, um, politics could actually be quite meaningful um, because it brought together networks of, of organized individuals to do things that matter in some cases. And so um, I worked in politics for, for, for quite a while from um, the time I was 15 to about 22, um, at which point I was working for former prime, for prime minister, Paul Martin at that time. Right. And mm-hmm. um, I, what's he, what's he like to work with, by the way, you know, it was a really, um, it was a really kind of interesting environment because there were, I mean, it's so, it's so high paced. Like he himself, is is great um you know it was an honor and a privilege to 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 serve in his office um you know like uh, working in a prime minister's press office is 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 um incredibly um stressful yeah well time consuming (laughs) uh stressful i was also really really young at the time Um, right and um, I learned a lot, right? And, and one of those things was uh, was one of the kind of original inspirations for MC2 was seeing how um, decisions were made in the sense that, you know, there were, when you think about something like the environment, right? Like there are already like thousands of people, right? If not millions of people thinking about environment and, and policies around the environment and, and how we can collectively take you know, action for the environment. These include organizations, these include companies, these include governments, right? Not just federally, but like provincially, municipally. Um, and how do we bring all of these voices to the table? 
because it seems like such an awful waste, right? Like that there are all these people having these conversations, like how are they not being aggregated into one place? And I was like, there's got to be something there. But at the time, right, 2006, there was nothing. Like, Facebook was just coming out of universities. Right. Like, Twitter was barely a thing. Howard mm-hmm. Dean had just run the first, quote, internet election with blogs. Mm-hmm. Like, it was it was really kind of way back. And so um, I left politics in 2006. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go into tech because it's a natural <laughs> extension yeah. of political organizations going online. And so I worked in New York in the startup sector there. Um, I got really involved with this, um, a startup called If We Ran the World, which was, um, you know, very, very much uh, a precursor to, to MC2. Um, essentially, If We Ran the World was a web meets world platform, um, essentially inviting people to, um, you know, uh, create and participate in campaigns where you could break a campaign down into bite-sized actions called micro-actions and then, um, you know, do something like try and solve world hunger, but all of us together by doing little actions, micro-actions to solve world hunger, like dropping off a can of soup at your local community organization, right? How all those together will collectively have an impact. And I was just super inspired by that. Wow. Wow. You, you You were the beginning of blockchain. Yeah, yeah. Yes, actually, that, that, the concept of blockchain at that time was not really like I remember having early conversations around Bitcoin and and blockchain, and it was just so far off at that time. Yes, um, yes. But yeah, I mean, essentially, I I completely it it completely consumed my life, like this notion of microactions. And I remember meeting with Cindy Gallup, who is the founder of If Around the World, and she's an advertising veteran. Fabulous, amazing woman, um, very much an inspiration. And um, she had been, she had showed me a friend in the world. And I said, this could transform politics. Like, this could literally increase civic participation by allowing, um, you know, candidates to, for example, candidates or political parties to invite people to campaigns. Um, this could enhance accountability, right? Where um, essentially it's no longer about a candidate or an elected official or a party or a government saying, trust us, we are who we say mm. we are. It's actually in the data. Like, because we're, 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 you know, tracking actions and verifying them, it's accountable and it's transparent and it's, you know, it creates like a data profile, which is so, so important, especially today um, with, you know, the prevalence of, of fake news and, and, you know, dubious content. And so what we're doing is saying, look, you know, there's a world where, trust will prevail. And, um, because there are still people that believe in that and we want, Mm. and and essentially now, right. So, so I've kind of come back to the future, right. But essentially at this time in, in 2012, uh, not 2012, sorry, 2010, when Cindy Gallup and I were having an original conversation about if we're in the world, I was kind of starting to see some of these kind of bigger pictures coming together. And and so MC2 is very much founded on uh, the idea that we could take something like if we're in the world, right, but then apply it specifically to um, civic engagement and, and government and, and, um, and, and really kind of drive home, um, you know, one, making uh, civic engagement easier, more fun and participatory, but then also making it more accountable. Do you, uh- 
Do you, uh, Giovanna? Do you do you find that um, one the the decision makers who are engaging with your uh, with your with MC two are a little bit reluctant to play in the game because there is accountability to it in a, in a new way? I mean, not not to suggest they're not, they don't want to be accountable, but maybe accountable at a you know a tenfold level that they might not have had before. Yeah, you know what? It's it's actually quite amazing because since we started working on MC2 in 2012, we've been invited around the world to some of the most like in- incredible places, like to the President's Palace in Mongolia, to the White House by invitation of President Obama's Office of Public Engagement. Um, you know, we've been down to Parliament Hill in Canada, right? Most importantly, um, <laughs> most importantly, um, you know, we've um, you know we've taken this to the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, which is you know uh, an incredible event in the world, and. Um, and and beyond that, right? And so uh, I think that there's something there. And in fact, um, you know, the reception that we've been receiving at uh, the community level, right, the city level as well, has been uh, very, very positive. And I think, you know, right now, because the focus is on, hey, let's, you know, let's create a campaign. Um, the city of Ottawa would be another great example where we created an environmental campaign around their biannual cleanup, cleaning the capital. Um, Essentially, our chatbot would recommend, uh, you would share your location with with FIA for the city of Ottawa, and and she would then recommend um, the three closest parks parks to you of Ottawa's 1,200 different parks, because Ottawa has 1,200 parks. Wow. No, and then you would um, be... Um, invited to go to that park and do one of two actions, either recycle or throw out litter. Um, you would select an action, submit a photo of yourself doing the action. Once the action is verified, you would then get a free Bridgehead coffee, which is a local um, a sustainable coffee chain in Ottawa. And, um, you know, and then by extension, we, we could collectively crowdsource the cleanup of Ottawa's parks and streets. And so it was kind of expanding on the original Cleaning the Capital campaign, which had been running for 20 years, which is still running. And um, 20 years, you know, in, we now have this amazing amazing digital tool to expand um, a cleanup from kind of registered community events through a website to this kind of Facebook messenger style. And so all that to say is, you know, people are happy. People are happy with the verified actions. Like, um, you know, we haven't received any pushback whatsoever. And in fact, um, there's a need for like verified action and verified data more so today than, than ever before, like both from the part of, of our um, of the, the partners that we're working with um, as well as from the people that are that are using the tool like it's a two-way street it's of yeah. course yeah 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 um, I I look at uh, um, what you're doing with regards to municipal engagement and I'm really embracing with it but you know a lot of municipalities nowadays anyway are are uh, you know struggling with road issues or sewage issues or you know I, I've got uh, if I got a fire fire department issues stuff that is strong infrastructure stuff this what you're suggesting is a great value add but not necessarily a necessity so so when it comes to selling what it is that you folks do, do you bring in other revenue sources than simply just, you, you know, a consulting or, or uh, charging the municipalities a fee? Is there other means and ways in which you, you bring, create revenue? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, we are we're currently piloting our bots across a number of different platforms um, to figure out, you know, what are the best ways to run campaigns so that they are the most efficient and so that they are tackling actually necessities, right? In addition to the nice to haves. And so um, our current revenue model is software as a service. And so essentially we will develop a chatbot for the city of Ottawa or for Ottawa tourism, um, for example, where, um, you know, our bot is designed based on, you know, a kind of script and, and, and um, uh, uh, a feeling that that they like with their own custom via, and um, and then we also do have the the consulting services around that, right? If there are communications or or social media needs and so on and so forth, um, you know. Beyond that, it is not our business model to um, to sell data, and part of that is simply we really are. Um, you know, we really want to do things differently with MC2 where there's, you know, a lot of people are having, um, I think, trouble kind of reconciling, you know, being socially engaged online, but then how their data is being used. And a lot of people are becoming more and more um, concerned with that in particular, where like you want to use social networks and you want to be, you know, connecting with your friends, but you also don't want to have like all of this kind of (laughs) data about your brother. Yeah, exactly. And so we're really trying to do data the right way. And we really want people to, you know, as much as possible, control their data to, um, you know, to benefit from their data. And, uh, you know, one amazing advisor to MC2 that we're working with, Kalia Hamlin, is she's known internationally as Identity Woman. And she's the world's leader in online identity, virtual identity, and essentially the the empowerment of, you know, essentially how to empower people with with data. And so this it's actually just such an important conversation I think we need to be having right now, especially um you know, today where like there are revolutions happening across the board in terms of, of how data is being used or conversations about AI, you know, kind of evolving into um, these, you know, either terrible, terrible entities or contributing to sustaining world peace, right? Like ultimately the way we develop technology and the way that we use data depends on us. And it entirely depends on how we train, you know, um, the, the programs that we are building and, um, and, and that's really significant. And so anyway, all that to answer your question simply is in terms of our revenue, you know, it's currently software as a service model. Um, we're exploring multiple, um, additional options, but we're being very careful with our data. And, um, that is a, um, work in progress. I, uh, I appreciate that. And one of the other things I want to talk about is one of uh, we referenced the revenue piece, but if someone's listening to you right now, they're saying, Oh my gosh, global, globally, this is an amazing organization. Globally, she is an amazing person. Globally, she's doing amazing work for entrepreneurship. How big's your team? We are a team of eight people and yeah, we're based in Ottawa, um, but we have we work remotely, and so we have um, we do have virtual office space, um, 
and uh, in in the city of Ottawa, and um, and then we have team members, you know, combined in in Ottawa. Um, we have a presence in uh, Montreal. We have presence in Los Angeles, uh, California, and um, I myself am uh, based currently based in Seattle. So you're based in Seattle, but you're from Ottawa originally. That's right. Yes, yeah, so- and and MC two remains in Ottawa. And so, what takes you to Seattle? So, um, Seattle's an amazing city. I don't know if you knew that, but it's... it's I heard it is. I, yes. I'm not a big fan of their football team, but I'm a big fan of the coffee. Well, those are fighting words, you know? Like, there's some people, there are some people here that, that, that might get really upset with you for saying that, and I have to live with them. So, yes. uh, you know, but... <laughs> I love it. But, but yeah, but the, co- the coffee's amazing. I mean, Seattle is home to Amazon. It's home to Microsoft. Um, just some amazing, you know, amazing startups, amazing accelerators. You know, you've got the Impact Hub here, um, like we have in Ottawa and, uh, you know, in different cities in Canada. We have, um, you know, some really incredible opportunities um, for startups. And it's also only a two and a half hour drive from from Vancouver, which is really interesting um, because there's also a very um, a very meaningful kind of tech um, hub there with a particular focus on 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 media and entertainment. And so um, it's a fascinating city. And um and yeah, and my my spouse, um, Brandon, is is also um, uh, working here, which, which brought us here, um, right. in his capacity is a consul general to the Pacific Northwest. And so, uh, he's representing the government of Canada, uh, here. And so that's again, an honor and a privilege. And so for yeah. all of those reasons, uh, we're here with our two French bulldogs. That is so cool. Actually, I uh, I was fortunate enough to interview the chief trade commissioner for the world of Canada, and um, wow. we had a great yeah we had a great conversation. And uh, and uh, so your husband's doing an amazing job supporting uh, that network. And so I, I can see the story, and I can it makes natural sense for you to to be there anyway, given the worldly player that you are, and you you figured it out, and you're a team of eight. And do you uh, do you um, uh, how, how did you find these other Seven. Uh, I mean, you're a co-founder, so the two the two of you came together. But the other people that you added to the team, how did you find them on a global scale? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know you what, know, Giovanna, I've got five oh. great question references <laughs> from you today. That's a record for me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're such a great interviewer. Thank you. Um, so, I mean. You know, the team has evolved over over the years. Like we've now been in operation for five years, a bit over five years. And so, you know, people have come, people have gone very naturally um, in that kind of life cycle. But we, um, you know, the, the original, um, you know, one one of our original team members, Elijah, we we met through If We're in the World, actually, um, so through that original platform introduced by Cindy Gallup because of our mutual love for for campaigns and then and and you know uh, taking action through micro actions. Um, other members of the team uh, we connected just through um, our professional networks. Um, Carleton and, uh, so Carleton university more recently in the last kind of, I guess recently is in two years, um, three years. Um, I was an, in, uh, an entrepreneur in residence at 1125 at Carleton. Um, 
and uh, and uh, which is there, which was it, it is it has since um, uh, closed its doors, unfortunately. But um, eleven twenty five is is kind of was their like social innovation. Um, uh, incubator. And, uh, and so I met, um, some of our team members through 1125 at Carleton when I was there. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just a combination of, of networks and, and, um, uh, different networks and, and people being inspired by the same vision and, and coming together to, to make good change happen. It's a, I love the fact that you've referenced inspired by the same vision. How important on a scale of one to 10, do you put that in bringing team members on? Oh, I mean, it's everything, right? Like, especially when, when you're first starting, like, of course we all need to, um, we need to support ourselves in, in good work and, and, um, you know, while at the same time, um, uh, you know, fulfilling the kind of dreams and aspirations that we have as, as people. And I think that it's the most fortunate of us that are able to reconcile those into one position right yeah. to be able to to work and and do what we love at the same time and uh it's hard to find yeah. like it's it's really really hard to find and and honestly like it's not been easy um you know it's very much uh to do what we do and to be able to make money doing it is has actually been um <laughs> quite the challenge <laughs> Um, but there is a business model for it. And, um, you know, everyone involved really does believe in it and you have to, right. Cause if you don't like, I mean, if you don't truly want to, uh, on some level make the world a better place, you know, if you don't believe in, in the, the kind of values of, um, you know, dignity and transparency, um, and basic accountability, like it's probably not going to work out for you working with MC2. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that, that it has everything to do with it, right? Like, um, and I think a, a strong kind of tolerance for the inevitable transience and like, you know, craziness of running a startup over a long period of time right in the ups and the downs and at some (laughs) point like a a nice vision and a dream is just not enough at some point you know things are going to fail which they do you know sure they do what I love about what you've just uh, referenced a couple of times here is the, the the challenges associated with the journey you're on. I think it's a great lesson for our audience is, you know, this glamorization of, oh, it's a, you know, we're talking global, 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 but it's still a, uh, it's still a, a trudge sometimes. It's still difficult sometimes. It's still a swampy sometimes, even though it can be grandiose and wonderful and, and with all the things and all the people you're meeting. And uh, I, I'm glad that you brought that back to, a little bit of reality for people because uh, some people think that's what it is. It's just all glamour being an entrepreneur. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh man. If that is in any way, anyone's notion of being an entrepreneur, I'm going to burst that bubble right now because I'm telling you it is the least sexy thing, the least, like the most painful and like often just, you know, um, frustrating thing to be an entrepreneur because like a lot of the time your plans don't follow and a lot of the time you fail. Right. And it's, and you know, you can, 
okay, we've been to the White House and we've been around the world. And yeah. It's like, yeah, that's when things are awesome. Yeah. But like most of the time when it's like, okay, this thing just broke and okay, we need to pay cash. You know, we need to, to pay salaries at the end of the month and cash flow is Hi. just not supporting <laughs> that. And oh my God, what are we going to do? And it's, it's literally like, that's what it's like. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, and it's, it can often be, um, really deeply uncomfortable. And, um, I would not encourage anyone to start their own business without that being their expectation that most of the time it's going to be exactly like that. <laughs> so uh, just, uh, on the, I, I, I got to tie into a, uh, you know, a, a thought process. I, when I, when I started my journey, before I started my journey as an entrepreneur, I worked for, uh, I worked for the phone company in Nova Scotia Then I worked for a smaller organization. And so I, I really like to say, I get to learn business real life and get paid for it, uh, for that education. Do you recommend that? Uh, I mean, look, cause, cause now it's sexy to come out of school and barge in. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start my own business. Look at me go. But of course, then you've got that proverbial failure rate and people say, oh my gosh, how did that all happen? Do you recommend that people to kind of say, no, take two years and, and hang out with an established organization, not necessarily a startup, but an established organization. Uh, you know, it could be five, six people, it could be eight people like yours who, and, and understand the journey first, hands, hands uh, on versus just diving into it. Hmm. Well, so I think you're only ever going to dive into it, right? Like, like when starting a startup, you're only ever going to go through baptism by fire because every startup is going to be completely different. Every startup is going to have different requirements, responsibilities, and so on and so forth. Right. Of course, there's a standard, you know, legal considerations, the need to generate revenue. But by any measure, you're going to have some kind of different, you know, a potion of craziness happening at any given time. What I do think what could have been helpful, like what one of the things that helped me was actually kind of leaving politics and going to work for startups and being able to see um, other, you know, at, at that time, very young people running these these big successful startups. That was very helpful. And so I think working at a startup is useful. However, I would caution that with, I think one of the best things an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, could learn at the outset is management skills. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of, of entrepreneurs don't actually uh, think about that from the outset. Like it's not natural, right? Like, like there's leadership, there's natural leadership skills, but then there's the kind of like operational basic management. And I, ah. I think that a lot of people take for granted that that's just something that every entrepreneur knows how to do. And I don't think that that's true. Um, and I think that, you know, like nine out of 10 startups fail, right? Like that's the kind of, that's the standard number. And I think if we had, like, if, if entrepreneurs could actually go through some boot camp on just, just, just kind of, you know, leadership and skills development and to be, to be comfortable with that, I think that would go a long way to securing yeah. more successful startups and and longer term um, sustained growth. Because um, you know, part of this is just everybody working together as as a team to bring uh -huh. an idea to fruition. And if a team can't work together, there's no idea to fruition, and there's no revenue, and there's 
you know, there's nothing there. So I think, yeah, like I think management skills is very important. So I'm going to, this is a very interesting segue and this is an educational conversation that could take us a little longer in this conversation. And uh, I want to be respectful of your time, but also the audience because we are entrepreneurs, right? And our attention span is pretty, pretty small, but what if, if it's so obvious and it is, it's team building, it's, it's leadership, it's those, uh, you say the management skills, why aren't they being taught? Uh, or why aren't we learning that? Is it because the education system has failed us? So, you want to say that's a great question, don't you? I, I was going to say that. I was actually going to say that. <laughs> you read my mind, and I was stopping myself. I'm not going to say that. I, I know you were. <laughs> I'm not going to say that again. So, I mean, essentially, you know, I never learned how to be an entrepreneur. I want, like, I studied political science with a concentration yes. in international relations. I worked in politics. I never right. ever was taught, um, other than being self-taught you know, kind of going through Coursera courses, you know, the Y Combinator like course and so on and so forth um, uh, digitally. Like I I never learned um, anything in school and I don't remember a class that was available in high school um, that would teach entrepreneurship if there was one. I've never heard of it. So I was a very unlikely entrepreneur. And I say that again, and I said that earlier because Anyone like like I became an entrepreneur because I had a vision for something that needed that I believed needed to exist that did not exist. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to start my own company. And from there, like kind of dove in head first. But 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 no, like, I mean, I I didn't study business in school like I didn't um, I didn't have that background. And so I think that that's important for people to know, because I, you know, don't hold yourself back either, right? Like if you haven't studied business, you can learn, but you have to have a willingness and a desire to learn and, and be really comfortable with accepting failures initially, because what's actually a failure isn't a failure, right? It's like Clay Shirky says. So Clay Shirky is this forefather of modern social networking at NYU. He talks about fail forward fast, right? Uh-huh. Like just forget about, you know, don't worry, like try something it's not going to work. You know, often it doesn't work. Keep going. Don't beat yourself up about it. But with this whole kind of like perfectionist culture, right? it's it's really hard to do that, right? And you beat yourself up. It's like, well, I failed. Like, maybe I'm just not good at this. Not true. It's crazy. Absolutely not true. Yeah. You need to just keep going and trudging away and figure stuff out and talk to people. And yeah, just don't give up. The only you know, failure is to give up. The only failure is to give up, and um, I um, I remember reading a book called The Millionaire Mind a while ago. I forget who wrote it. Guy from Vancouver, actually, I think, is the one that wrote it. And uh, and he did with his in his research. And I'm not going to ask you what your marks were in school. I know what mine were, uh, but he said it's the B and the C students that are one, the ones that are going to end up creating the, uh, the 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 companies and the millions for themselves because they can. Ex- Accept failure. They can't accept setbacks exactly as you just talked about because they've trained themselves to still go, keep going, even even in the face of adversity at uh, at at a school level. So I love that you've uh, that you've reinforced that. Not that the A's can't do well either, but they just might have to face failure a little later on than the than the B's and the C's. But it's a, it's such a critical thing. Well, yes, and I'd I'd like to add to that. Um, mm-hmm. I think persistence is the most grossly undervalued 
skill in business. Persistence is one, like, especially through the trials and the fires of, of building your business, most people give up. Right. Right. Like, I mean, at the end, it's like, okay, there, there are different considerations. If your business is just truly like not right. thoroughly thought through, right. Okay. That's one thing. Wow. Or if it's just not a good business case and figure that out and then do something else. But like, if it's actually a sound idea and there's right. actually like data there and a market there that you know is there, persistence in getting there is what will get you across. And, and like just not accepting that, you know, not accepting failure and just saying, no, like, no, I'm just going to do this because those are the ones that will ultimately succeed. That's a very... I mean, it's it's an extremely interesting point because when you look at those stats, you know, nine out of ten businesses fail, five out of ten businesses fail, and so on. Do we really break it down between those that failed and those that actually gave up? Right. It would be it would be an interesting uh, uh, metric to be able to measure because if indeed it's more giving up than those that failed, then holy cow, what a great opportunity for us to uh, to really dig in and now work with those individuals in a way that will pr- allow them persistence versus just giving up. Yeah. And, you know, I have some really awesome friends, right, who ha- who run their own businesses and who just decided, look, you know, I could continue with this business and it's a sound idea and um, there's a market there, but I'm not willing or potentially able to continue to invest the resources necessary personally or others to to pursue this idea. Like, like there's life, right? Like life happens and that is completely and totally acceptable and fine too, right? It's like, just remove the ego for a second and look at things objectively and like, you know, what, what is it, right? That I'm trying to build and am I willing and able to continue putting in the time towards it? And it doesn't mean it's not a good idea necessarily. It means like, maybe I'm in a place in my life where this is just not Like, I just can't do this, right? I can't put in the time or the effort. So there's so many considerations around building a startup to last. And, um, and there's no kind of, uh, you know, there's no standard, right? Like there's no standard of, of, of this versus that, or like, this is the, the key to success. And this is the path to failure. Like, I think it's really, truly unique for every entrepreneur, but persistence truly, I think, is one of the most important um, paths to success. Does your your partner, Brandon, does he look at you sometimes and say, how do you do it or why do you do it? Brandon is one of the most inspiring human beings that I know. And, um, you know, but truly, like he's, um, you know, he's been a genuinely successful in his own right in his life um you know really following values of kindness and consideration um he's very open-minded he treats everybody Mm -hmm. equally like he's he's awesome and he has been so supportive of of me and and um over well the, the time that we've known each other the time that we've been together um we've been together now for for eight years and um you know, like I really believe that in life you need the kind of rocks, you know, like that you need kind of the rocks around you. And Brandon is very much like my key rock, you know, he's, he's incredible and he's only ever, he's only ever been supportive and I'm truly grateful. And I think I'm so fortunate to have someone 
to have him, you know, to, to be together. Um, because anyone else, I'm not sure they would have put up with, like, with all of them. Honestly, like, I, I just, it takes, it takes someone that has the stomach for it. Yeah, seriously. Like, and, and all of the kind of the painstaking, um, you know, the, the weekends and the, oh, this was supposed to work and then it didn't work again for the fifth time. Like, oh, oh, right now, right? Like all of those and, and, and the frustration and the tears, but then also to help to support you in celebrating person. the good. And mm-hmm. happy times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean... To have solid partners, whether they be like your life partner or whether they be, you know, co-founders or whether they be team members is one of the greatest fortunes I think that we can have. And to have trusting relationships and, you know, people that we love around us is, is, um, you know, it builds so much courage and so much strength. And I think you need that, you know, to, to kind of make it through the, make it through the journey. Yeah. It's a, you know. We've had a great conversation, and I've gone way over what I usually talk with uh, my guests on the show because this has been very impactful. And I don't know if you realize it; maybe you don't because you're because you're genuine uh, and you're so kind. But there has been such incredible threads of just amazing—not information, but life lessons, which include personal lessons and and business lessons—in this conversation. And I now know why you are a global shaper why you are going to Canada's top most powerful uh, top 100 most powerful women I can't tell you how wonderful it's been to have this conversation with you again Uh, and I knew it would go deeper this time because I got to know you the last time Giovanna how do people hang out with you because I know there's going to be people that say tell me I want to (laughs) hang out with this woman that's very kind of you to say um well i would love to 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 meet you you know whoever's (laughs) whoever's out there um yeah so the best way to get in touch is um i have a personal website javannamingarelli.com and you can reach me there and you can also um find mc2 playmc2.com p-l-a-y-m-c number two.com um and also uh twitter so um mingarelli g is my twitter alias or uh, at mc2 universe for mc2 Lots of ways, and she spells Giovanna in a very unique way, of course. G-I-O-V-A-N-N-A. Mingarelli is M-I-N-G-A-R-E-L-L-I. Wanted to make sure we get that correctly because uh, it's important. The I is silent. So, Giovanna, thank you so much for your time. It's been impeccable. It's been a a great journey, and uh, keep doing your magic, and I look forward to the chance to, to chat again or even better see you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me again. And um, I uh, look forward to being in touch. It's going to be good. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Bye. 
Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Keith Hipple, co-founder and CEO of Spring Activator, and you are listening to the Startup Canada podcast. You know, I, I really break down business as simply a freaking dating game. That's all it is. You know, I'm chasing the girl. I want to know as much as I can about her so that she's going to date me and want to date me again and again, presuming it's a good situation in the beginning. But when it comes to business, for some reason, we just kind of throw that out and we don't get into this customer discovery because we all of a sudden now have to make it all about us and our assumptions. It just blows me away. Well, and here's the interesting thing. If we use the dating analogy, I'm actually going to ext- extend that and actually say, I think the analogy, it's a little bit possibly closer to when you have a baby. Yeah. And and the reason is, is because when we date, we're kind of naturally saying, you know what, I hope it works out. But if we're not a fit, then let's move on. Yeah. When people put their startup out there. What they're actually saying is it's like pushing the baby carriage down the sidewalk and you want everybody to look at your baby and say, this is the most beautiful baby in the world. Yeah. And then you're offended when they say it's ugly. Yes. Right. And yeah. so there, so, so what we need to do is kind of get over that because most of the time when people go out there, yeah. they, they, they want everybody to love their baby. And that is not true. We don't want everybody to love our baby. We want our ideal customer to love our baby and everybody else to say no fast. Yes. So yes. we don't waste our time. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 and and, and 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 by the way, there are a lot of ugly babies out there too. We need to understand that. <laughs> <laughs>